church and uh, being together is there's so many gifts. Even looking out, there's just a lot of gifted, talented people in various fields. And we get to come together and ask God, can we use uh, our creativity, our resources, not just financial, but our, our abilities, our talents to do something for the kingdom of God. And that's what the church does. We get to think and dream in those ways. And I pray that we would do that, we would do that well together. Um, we're going to look here at John chapter 4. We're going to finish the chapter here in a second. I want to speak to the kids for a second. Um, we have some little packets back there with some uh, colored pencils and a sheet. On that sheet it says something about the sermon, title, passage, and it says what you learned uh, from the message today. I would love to see some of those after the service. Would somebody, would there be some kids out there? And you can be an adult kid too if you, if you feel like that's helpful. Uh, I would love to see you write what you learned today from this sermon so that uh, I can make sure I'm communicating well to you. So if you would mind doing that, that would be really, that would be really helpful uh, for me. Um, John is uh, it's like a word from your father, or I don't know, maybe it was your mom in your house, or grandfather, or uh, grandparents. Um, you know how when uh, your parents want to tell you something important, maybe you're a teenager and you're going to go out at night and take the car, they, they give you the cautions, they give you the warnings, you know, and then they, they end up inevitably saying the same thing like over and over and over, like over, and they just keep saying it. Do you know how that goes? I tell my kids, and they're like, Dad, you said that like five times. And I'm like, because you didn't like give me any affirmation that you heard it, and it's really important, and I want you to know that like you get this, this is important. It's like a father thing, you know, it's, it's a little redundant. Um, sometimes they're like, we get the point, right? Um, that's, that's kind of what John does. If you heard last week's sermon, the week before, the week before, they're starting to sound similar, right? Because John is committed to telling us, he calls us little children a lot, little children, beloved, little, little children. It's this fatherly talk. Let's, let's have the talk. You're, you're going to college. Let's sit down. Let's talk about what it's going to be like. Or, you know, you're, 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 you're getting to drive the car, and uh, the parent's going to give you the turn. Now, listen, be safe. I want you home by this time. Don't make this decision. Be wise. John's kind of doing that with the church. Because they're young, they're starting out, kind of like us. Uh, and then there's places where they're being tempted to veer, right? There's false teachers. We've talked about that have come in. And it's easy to get sidetracked from the gospel. So he says it, and then he says it, and then he says it over and over and over again. So if you get a little frustrated with John, just think about maybe your mom or dad or grandparent, whoever that was in your life that gave you fatherly wisdom. Would you mind standing as we read these few verses together? Um, this is from chapter 4, verses 15 through 21 of 1 John. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved, loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. 
who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we pray for this time. God, meet us here in your word. God, speak to us. Um, penetrate our hearts. Bring conviction. Challenge us as these words are so challenging. But then comfort us. As a father might give stern warnings. And then he says, but you're my child. You're the beloved. You're my little one. May we know that kind of words from you tonight, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Father's words. First, uh, we're back in this talking about love. But first, uh, first point is it's a promise. The first few verses speak of a promise. And um, look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, listen to the language of abiding. God abides in him, and he in God. Verse 16 latter part, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17, doesn't use the word abide, but uses the concept. By this, love has been perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in the world. Because we have said some of the same things week in, week out, we're going to take a little different angle. We're going to start with this language of abiding. It's one of John's favorite phrases. He uses it some, or favorite words. He uses it some 20 times in this letter. In his gospel, he uses it over three dozen times. Abide, abide, abide. Um, what does abide mean? It speaks of, of constant presence. Some translations say remain. John 15 says that remain in me, the vine and the branches. It means to be with. John the Baptist, at Jesus' baptism, that God's Spirit descends upon Jesus. Remember the dove comes down and it says that the Spirit dis- remained on Jesus. That the Spirit was Jesus' constant companion. The Spirit abided with Jesus. We're told in John's Gospel that uh, we are to abide in Jesus' teaching. That Jesus' teaching is so a part of us. It's so core to us that it's actually in us. It's with us constantly and it steers and guides us in our decisions and our, and our, uh, our ethics. John 14.10 says this, The Father remained or abode with Jesus. The Father remained with Jesus during His earthly days. And that Jesus remained or abided continually in the Father's love. This language of abiding it's all about presence. Um, now think about that. Something here that we just used, those references I just gave you, are speaking about the reality of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The, the mystery of the Godhead, the Trinity. We sang about it earlier. Praise the Father, praise the Son, right? Praise the Spirit, three in one. Something talking about, a language that John uses over and over to talk about the deepest, profoundest realities. Here he turns and talks about you and I. Talks about us. It's an enormous claim. It's being extended from God. The Trinity is being broadened to in some way include us as we are brought in to the triune relationship. It's an enormous claim. The claim is that Christ is in us. God abides in Him. But also we are in Christ. 
that we are in God, the language of hidden with Christ. Theologians talk about the phrase, we are in union with Christ. You familiar with that phrase? Union. That's what he's talking about. Union with Christ. That we become, the two of us become inseparable. Pastor and author Rankin Wilborn says this. He's speaking not of John, but of Paul. Paul uses this phrase, uses this language of abiding to, and he speaks of it in terms often of being in Christ, of in Christ, of in Christ. And this is what Rankin says. He says, Paul actually invents new words to describe this reality, talking about abiding. The phrases crucified with, raised with, buried with, seated with, are all a single Greek word to get the prefix with, attached. Rankin says, these words don't exist before Paul coined them. But here's the point. Something so unique has happened that there were no words for it. A new vocabulary was necessary. When Christ came and then the Spirit descended, as Christ ascended, the Spirit was sent, came into us, something happened that the language did not have a word for. No Greek, no Hebrew, no Aramaic, no any language had a word for this reality we call union with Christ abiding. So Paul makes up stuff. It's kind of like being crucified with Christ or being buried with Christ or being seated with Him. Whatever is true of Him is now true of us. The two become inseparable. Uh, Mac, you can get ready for that, that little video we're going to show in a second. The promise is union with Christ. It's abiding. So much so that what is true of Christ is true of us. And what is true of us is true of Christ. If we could, if we could fathom just a little bit of that. Our life would be changed. I, you've probably seen this video. This is a video about Dick and Rick Hoyt. Um, it's a little bit older. They won an ESPY in 2013, the Jimmy V Award. Um, but I can't think of a better picture in our world. There, there really isn't a picture to capture this reality. But this is the best one I could think of. I don't show video clips a lot, but I thought this one was really profound. So um, if you can see this, uh, go ahead and show it, Max. Or two about commitment. This time, he's just months removed from a heart attack. This gift that he gives to his son, or is it the other way around? Either way, it all started when Rick heard about a charity run for a paralyzed athlete. He asked Dad, and Dad said yes. The gun went off, and we went off with all the other runners, and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. And when we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears. So that was a very powerful message to me that we finally found a sport that Rick could get involved in just like everybody else. is my motivator, he inspires me. To me, he's the one out there competing and I'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete. There's just something that gets into me when I'm out there competing with Rick that I can't explain it and we're able to go faster. And it, it's just an unbelievable feeling. Rick and I, love the Ironman triathlon to be out there competing with the best triathletes in the world 
to be accepted to compete along with these triathletes. Just to be out there on that pier with all the other triathletes and then waiting in the water for that cannon to go off, it, it was just so exciting. The feeling coming down the finish line at Leaky Drive, it, it's just an awesome experience. With the crowd there, all the excitement, the noise, and the announcers announcing all that, the adrenaline just gets flowing. quality wasn't great you couldn't see it all that well but who, who ran in the who ran the race who swam who biked right who uh they together have done over a thousand races over a hundred triathlons they've they've started and finished the boston marathon 31 times um I love it because uh, it, when you see Rick in, in the chair and come in the finish line, you see the joy and the delight. Who's done it? They've both done it, right? They are so together, they're inseparable. Yeah, one's doing the work. The father for 30-something years has labored and pushed and, and biked and swam. Um, but together, they've accomplished. They are inseparable. That, that, that's something of what it means to abide in Christ. That what Christ has done in his death 
we have done, we have died with Christ. What Christ experienced in his resurrection, he's done the work, and yet somehow we get hidden with Christ so that we get credit for it. And conversely, in our own sin, we are the sinners, and yet Christ on the cross absorbs and takes our sin. Together, what is true for one is true of another. It's an amazing story. We're inseparable. It's presence. It's abiding as presence. Wherever Rick goes, Dick goes, Dick goes, Rick goes, they together uh, compete. And it's both for their joy. Uh, that's abiding. Uh, watch the story. Wrestle with that. Wrestle with the text. Um, that's the promise. We get to abide with Christ. Um, but second thought here is that the promise of abiding has a condition. Uh, verse 15 says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The, the abiding is an invitation to all. He says in verse 16 that they've come to know and to believe in the love of God. And the invitation is for all, and that's what we proclaim the invitation for all to come to know and to believe. But there's a requirement. It requires a confession. Uh, we think of confession in the sense of what Dwayne did earlier, where we confess our sin, and that's part of it. But confession here means we make a confession. We have a doctrinal belief. We make something that we say, this is it. This is what we believe. We make a stance, a statement um, based on a historical reality. Not just we believe anything or whatever, but we believe particularly in Jesus is, it says, the Son of God. Now, contemporary religious movements, um, all religious movements outside of Christ, have tried to create um, uh, a sense of, uh, of religion or spirituality apart from presence. Right? Because we're only ones in Christ that have presence. We have the Spirit in us, which gives power to live in a certain way. And it's based on that confession. And so religious movements have to try to create power without presence. So how does that work? Um, you know, religions create uh, traditions. They create uh, disciplines and practices. They create uh, experiences um, they create, they, they rally around common interests or affinities. Um, many churches today will rally around a certain cause, and their, their church is about that cause. And it may be a good cause, it may not be a good cause, but that's sort of the, the thing that unites them. You know, I always see the church down by South Alabama, the, the Unitarian Church. You know, every sign they put out there is like, nothing, can't believe in this, can't believe in that. And I've come to find out their unifying principle is that we believe no one can believe in anything. And that's what unites them, right? They have, every group affinity has to have something that we rally around to give some identity, right? And we have rituals. We just sing songs. We have prayers. We have preaching. We have things we do. We have the Lord's Supper. And yet those things are secondary or, or help us do the one thing, the main thing. And that is that we confess Jesus is the Son of God. We make an exclusive claim. It's, it's inclusive. Everyone can come. But then it's exclusive 
we believe Jesus. All, all our eggs are in the Jesus basket, right? If you're a poker player, right? You, you have your chips, and you just say, I'm all in. You just push them to the center, and you're like, here it goes. That's the Christian life, and it's based on this confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, there's probably, probably nothing more unpopular today than to make a doctrinal statement to exclude people, right? To say, this is the line, this is the boundary. And yet John says the way into this abiding, the way into this he's in us and we're in him, is by confessing that he is the Son of God. There is no other, there is no other way. In doing so, we get presence, the presence of God. Um, our rallying cry. Um, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about race, and we think race is important, and we're going to talk about it. Race is an implication of the gospel. It's, it's our rallying cry is Jesus is the Son of God, therefore we believe all people matter, right? And race matters. But it doesn't work the other way around. It works with Jesus is central. He is the Son of God. John has said multiple times, that Jesus is uh, divine and that he's human. So this confession, Jesus is the Son of God, means we believe the God-man, Jesus Christ, is the Savior of the world. Something is so unique about him that in relationship with him, we get abiding and all of life has perspective and meaning. John, Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Jesus human, Lord God, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, exclu- it's inclusive, everyone. But it's inclusive to those who would confess Jesus. The promise is big, um, but the confession is necessary. The third, the third reality is the result. If you... Uh, make the confession, then the promise is real to you, and the result is, 17 through 19, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, we love because he first loved us. When we confess Jesus and his love abides in us, The result is we love. Jesus' love comes to us. He loves first. And then we love as a result. And the reason we can do that is because the great barrier to our love has been taken away. The great barrier, fear, is the barrier to love. Um, When when you're afraid, you can't love. Right? You can't. You're afraid, you're self-protective. You're defensive. Maybe you're afraid, so you're the aggressor because you're afraid of getting hurt. Maybe you've been hurt, so now you're afraid of getting hurt again. So you stay back and you protect your heart and you wall off and you guard. You're anxious. You assume the worst of the other person when you're afraid. There's no ability to empathize. There's no ability to have care. There's no ability to see their shoes. Think about the political world, right? There's no ability to have any conversation with the other side. We demonize. We, we, we present each other in the worst possible light. 
It's fear. Um, racism is about fear. Um, we're, uh, racism is driven by uh, many ways. There's, there's lots of, obviously, roots, causes, sin, pride, but fear of the other. It's unknown. I don't know. I didn't grow up in my community with a lot of black people, so I don't know. That, so we engage, I'm a little hesitant. Or I didn't grow up a lot with Hispanics, and so I just look at them a little bit. I'm just not so sure because I don't know that world on the other side of the tracks or neighborhood. It's fear. And so we self-protect, and it breeds hatred. It breeds bigotry. Relationships with one another. Um... When fear is present, when you're afraid of being uh, rejected, or you're afraid of failure, or you're afraid of messing up, or um, afraid of offending, you, you stay guarded. And you can't, when you're guarded, where's the focus? It's on you. And when it's on you, you're not allowed to love. You're not free to love. Love hasn't been perfected to free you to love the other. So we can't love with fear. The focus is on self. 18 says, there is no fear in love. Think about abiding, right? There's no fear in love. 16 says, God is love. So that means there's no fear in God. Well, what about God? We're in God. And He's in us. Through God's love, love has no fear. And we're now married to Him by union with Christ. Therefore, we should have no fear. Therefore, we should be able to love. Right? You follow that? Logic train there. Think about all the, the things we've missed by being afraid. Think about your family and Thanksgiving and maybe arguments or people you're distant from. Fear is certainly a player. Fear prevents us from love. The result of abiding with Christ is freedom to love other people. Because here John's speaking specifically about the ultimate fear, that is the fear of judgment, he says in verse 17. We may have confidence on the day of judgment. That's the day Christ returns and all mankind is judged. We stand before God, think about you and I, like knowing our life, right? Knowing our history, knowing our faults and failures and shame and guilt and all the stuff we've done that we don't want anybody to know. We stand before God confidently. Because we're in union with Christ. Christ speaks for us. The punishment has been taken. The wrath of God has been taken in Jesus. And so we stand with confidence. Now what we're not saying is there's not a healthy fear of God. The Bible tells us to fear God. It means to revere, to reverence. He is the Holy One. He is the other from us. And so we honor Him. But the fear of His punishment, the fear of His wrath, has been taken in Jesus. We talked about that last week. Propitiation. Jesus took it for, for us. We're hidden in him. So there's no fear. Can you imagine? Like think about tomorrow. And you're, are you students. And what are you afraid of in your test? Are you afraid of your bank account? Are you afraid of COVID? Are you, what if we had no fear? And the argument here is from the greater to the lesser. If the greatest fear, that is the punishment and wrath of God, the Holy One, if it's been taken... We got out of fear, right? If that's dealt with, how much more this, right? Therefore, we can love. I'm not consumed with me. I'm not in the narcissism cycle and trap. 
and I can get outside of Ben and I can see you and I can love you and I can have compassion and I can have empathy and I can have care. It's freedom. There's freedom. So when you're afraid, application, and you, and you can put your finger on it, maybe you don't know you're afraid, um, no, you, you're, you're not in a position to love. Spouses, that's a good conversation. When you're agitated and angry, often fear is at the root. What am, I, what am I worried about? Why am I so defensive? What am I protecting? I have the righteousness of Christ. Why am I, why am I doing this? You can flip it if this helps you. If, you're, if you aren't loving well, ask the question, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Um, the result of the promise should be freedom. Freedom to love. Um, one final thing he says, and it's, it's a warning. You know, it's the, the dad talk, and you, you've said it over and over, and you said it, and your kids are leaving. And you're like, hey, one more thing. Like, be careful. Like, be home by 11. Like, don't be, be safe. Tell me who you're with. Text me when you get there, right? There's that one final, like, warning. That's kind of what John does. And John does it because uh, he, he knows the human heart. He knows us. Listen to what he says. Listen to the warning, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. As soon as he gives a warning, as soon as he gives the assurance, he gives a warning. You're abiding. What's true of him is true of you. There's no fear in love. God's love. But wait a second. You say you love, but you don't. But you don't love your brother, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. He, he, he's constantly, remember we said earlier about John? He's constantly doing both. He's challenging us and he's assuring us. He's comforting us and he's stirring us up to evaluate our own hearts. Um, it's like, in some ways, if you read the book of John, the language is really simple. But the concepts are really complicated in some ways. Because what's it causing us to do? To wrestle with our heart, to be transformed. That's what abiding is. Abiding is connecting with Jesus, to engage with Him in a deep level, very nuanced things, so that we are produced and there's fruit. Life comes out of it. And that's what He says. The fruit of abiding is loving one another. It's loving one another. Um, but we forget the gospel. It's, we, we know it. And then we, it slips off our heart. It reminds me of that story in Matthew 18. You remember the, the story of the unforgiving servant? We'll wrap up here with this. He says, uh, remember the, the, the one, the, the king calls in the servant and he says, I mean, he owes, you know, in our days, millions and millions of dollars. And, he's, and he says, you, you, can't, you haven't paid me. And he's going he's to sell him and his family to slavery. And the man begs, king, please don't, please don't. And what does the, what does the king do? He has mercy, right? And he forgives the whole thing. Like he forgives it. And the man immediately, it says, leaves and goes and finds his servant and begins to choke him because his servant owes him, this one, he owed millions, thousands, ten thousands, or ten thousand dollars, let's say. There's a payment plan. It's some money, but we can work this over a couple years, right? Student loans, right? We got a plan. He chokes him. And he says, pay me the money you owe me. And the guy says, begs him, please, 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 I'll pay you. And the man has no mercy, right? And he, he throws him into jail. 
And the other servants hear about this. And they go tell the king. And they said, King, the, the servant that you forgave millions of dollars has thrown his servant. And the king is what? He's angry. He's mad. And he takes him. And he throws him into jail. And the image is of eternity. He throws him into jail. How can we know the deep love, the deep abiding love of God, the, the picture we saw, the union with Christ, we can know something so rich that we didn't do anything for. We didn't run a mile, we didn't bike, we didn't swim, we didn't do anything. We sat there in victory doing nothing. We can know that kind of love and then not be able to extend love and grace to one another. That's, that's the reasoning. It's, it doesn't match, right? It's a incongruent, he says. I've laid down the, the reality, the abiding, the promise based on the confession. The result is love. But John's assuming an audience that's going to take love and they're going to think, well, we got the love of God. This is pretty good. This is kind of nice. We can do our own thing. And John says, if you say you love, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. Father got stern, right? Be back by 10. This is serious matter. That's what John does for us. We know the root of our hearts by the fruit. Abiding. If we say we abide, there should be evidence. So as we wrap up, um, are, we, are, we, are we lovers? We are lovers, actually. We're lovers. We love something. We give our heart to something. Have we confessed have we confessed? What's, what's your hope in? Is it Jesus is Lord? Is it like, I'm, gonna, I'm smart, I'm going to get a great job and make a lot of money? Is that your hope? It's not going to do it. Family, I, I don't know. What's your hope? Is it Jesus, if it is Jesus and it's a confession, He is Lord, He is God. If it is, then, it's, then, we, then we get this relationship, we get this abiding. Are we growing and abiding? Are we... Lord, may your spirit become real. May we engage it. May we walk together. May we know the abiding love of God. Foster the relationship like the video showed us. And if we are, then we, we take the test. Do I love? Why can't I forgive that person? I don't, do I not know the love of God for me? Yeah, I need to forgive that person. Why, why, why am I harboring bitterness? Why am I jealous and covetous of what they have? Why am I not championing them and, and for them? And I don't know the love of God. I don't know this abiding. We go back and then we do it again and again until we learn over and over again the deep, deep love of God that we have in Christ. Simple words, hard to do, right? 